Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so incredibly glad to have you here. I just want to tell you that I love you. I may never have had the opportunity to meet you in person, but if you're listening to this, I have prayed for you. And... uh, I believe that if we will get in the Word and we'll use it as a roadmap to heaven, that one day we're going to meet an eternity. And I've just had this lyrics to an old song on my heart that says, Look for me, for I will be there too. I realize when you arrive, there'll be so much to do. After you've been there 10,000 years, a million, maybe two, look for me, for I will be there too. And just the hope of heaven, what a glorious hope. And if I never get to meet you in this life, I am looking forward to meeting you in heaven. I just wanted to say that. Look me up. I would love to have coffee and talk about how you overcame and how you made it there. Won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Today, we are going to talk about the struggle is real. And I do know, and I've had several people reach out to me recently, just about the struggle they're having to get this habit established in their life. And I don't ever want anybody who might listen to this to feel like I'm coming from a position of having it all together or from a place of being an expert, because I really don't know that we can be an expert at Bible reading and prayer. This is just simply a means to a relationship. And maybe there's experts, but I'm not one of them. I am simply just somebody who has spent a lot of mornings gutting it out with Jesus. I've done it in times where I've been numb. I've done it in times where I have low emotion and low inspiration. I've done it on days where I've had incredible emotional pain, where I literally had no words to say. And I think sometimes it's a little bit more helpful in establishing this habit to know that someone is struggling alongside you rather than to feel like, wow, they're a pro. And so I don't want to bore you with too many details, um, and I certainly do not want this to sound self-centered, but I just felt today to kind of share with you where I'm currently at. It's been a little bit of a challenging season when it comes to Bible reading and prayer. Do I still do it? 100% absolutely yes. I refuse to give it up. It's still the best part of my life. But I am out of my usual time and usual place groove. And it's given me a ton of empathy for those who are just incorporating this habit into their lives. For many, many years, I had my spot on the floor by the couch in our living room at 5 a.m., give or take. In the summer, sometimes I'd sit outside on the porch. Uh, We had two porches, an unscreened porch and a regular porch, screened-in porch. Um, But most of the time, it was the same time, the same place. Every day, my husband would go to the gym. And we lived there for about 10 years. My kids were pretty self-sufficient at that time. And so I would have the whole 
first floor of the house to myself for a few hours while they were gone or getting ready. But in July, we moved to an apartment. It's about 1,100 square feet. And I absolutely love many, many, many aspects of it. But the living room is sandwiched between two bedrooms. And if I pray at home, I have to be quiet. I have to sit on the opposite side of the couch where I used to sit, or there's a street light that shines in my eyes. I don't fit between the couch and the coffee table anymore. I'm just going to assume that's because the living room is small. If I sit on the couch, prayer and writing don't seem as natural as when I sit on the floor like I did for so many years. Okay, so then do I pray at church? That has advantages. It's only four minutes from our house. I can pray as loud as I want. It's my favorite place ever. It's just Jesus and me. But if I go to church, do I go straight out of bed? Then what about my coffee? I can't take coffee in the sanctuary. So then I pray on a bench in the lobby. Do I get ready to go? Like, do I shower and ready for my day? and then just stay there all day because I work there, then I feel like I'm never home. Do I read my Bible at home on the couch and then walk and pray because I'm trying to fit exercise in? Sometimes that works. And what about the time? I have been so tired in this season of my life. And for a lot of years, I did five o'clock, but now five o'clock seems super early. So anyways, I know that's a lot of details, but I just wanted to tell you that I'm having a little bit of a challenge right now, and I know the struggle is real. Um, Either when we're first establishing this habit, or maybe when we are in a fresh season, in a new geographical location, smaller space or different space. And so I just wanted to share that I'm, again, just struggling alongside you, and maybe you're there, you've committed to the habit, You're determined to make Bible reading and prayer part of your day, but you've gotten off to a bumpy start. I just want you to know you're not alone, and eventually you and I are going to get in a groove again. And I would refer you back to an episode that I did a few, wow, I was kind of towards the beginning. It might have even been the second or third episode called The Battle. And this is a habit that we are going to have to fight to incorporate in our lives, and I think it's so important. We're not just trying to start a good habit running, healthy eating, etc. We are trying to establish a habit that will have incredible eternal ramifications in our lives and in the lives of others. And the enemy is going to fight us and our flesh is going to fight us. And sometimes the season is going to fight us. And so just go back and listen to that. Talked about how to battle through getting this established. And when you're having a hard time, Getting in the routine of this habit or figuring it out in a new season, just stay faithful. Make it happen even if it feels herky-jerky. Don't give up on it. And just a couple of suggestions for establishing consistency or for figuring out what to do when you're in that place. First of all, just try one place in time for a week or two. And that's kind of what I've been doing. I've been trying to do process of elimination Note what works about what you try one week, whether that's the time works really good or the spot works really good or the format, you know, the cadence that you use within the, that time. Note what works, note what doesn't work. Number two, remember to have realistic expectations of Bible reading and prayer. You're not going to sit under the glory faucet, as my kids and I call it, every single day. Some days it is going to be just eating. This is where you pour out spiritually 
And this is where you are filled and refilled spiritually. And sometimes it's just eating food. Sometimes food is really, really, really exciting and really exotic and flavorful. And sometimes food is just fuel for your body. And that's okay. Like just have realistic expectations of it. Remember that God's not looking for ritual or for routine, but he desires relationship with you. And you not having it all together and bringing him a perfectly ordered life is totally fine. He's looking for us to rather just bring the mess and the crazy thoughts and processing through it with him. He doesn't expect us to have it all figured out. He doesn't expect us to punch the clock. He's just looking for relationship. And lastly, be fiercely committed to make this habit happen. Say within yourself, if I do nothing else today, I will sit with Jesus. I may not have the time and the place figured out. I may be in a season of complete upheaval. I may be battling on every front, but I will prioritize the presence of God and I will prioritize the word of God above every other thing. So I hope that wasn't too much information. I hope that wasn't boring. But I just, again, felt like sometimes we just need to know that other people don't have it all figured out too. And so just, again, those four quick suggestions, just try one thing for a week, then try another thing for a week, kind of do process of elimination. Number two, have realistic expectations of Bible reading and prayer. Remember, number three, that God is looking for relationship. This is relationship, and relationship really never looks the same on two consecutive days. And number four, be fiercely committed to making this habit happen. Today, I am going to read a brand new entry. I literally finished writing this yesterday. And I think only one other time have I shared something that was just fresh, hot off the presses. Most of the time, they're years and years old. But I just had this little thought burning in my mind, and I felt like I was supposed to share it today. It is called The Back of the Book. I rarely, in fact, never write with a title in mind. Really, I never even title anything except to put it on the podcast or in the book. But yesterday, I was talking to Jesus in the car and talking about different Bible characters and how they didn't know the end of their stories, but how God knew the end of their stories. Somewhere in there, I heard a phrase, back of the book, and immediately exclaimed, I'm going to write about that. Then I turned a Victor Jackson sermon back on, and he said, I gave you a promise, and I'm going to fulfill it in my time. Your promise didn't come from time. It came from eternity, and eternity existed before time. Therefore, it is impossible for time to nullify what I gave you. When God gives you a promise, he gives it to you from the end to the beginning. He considers the end of your life before he gives you a promise at the beginning of your life. God works backwards. He gives it to you from the ending. Some people think they are disqualified from their promise, but they don't understand that God already considered your mistakes from your whole life before he even gave it to you. He works from the end to the beginning. And that's why the first inspired language inspired by scripture is Hebrew, which is from right to left. God likes working backwards. God speaks backwards. To read the Hebrew, the Hebrews book, you've got to turn it over to the end. 
and how or that's how it is with your life he starts from the back that was from a sermon called unexpected beginnings that he preached a few weeks ago the back of the book as i just rewrote that phrase hebrews 11 came to mind it is towards the back of the book but more so it declares the back of the book for a few key bible characters the men and women listed there were just people They were ordinary people living ordinary lives, but loving and obeying a great God. They were just individuals doing their best to struggle through to do what they individually had been called to do. They had no idea that one day Hebrews would be written. They were completely unaware that there would be a faith hall of fame, and they certainly would never have assumed they'd end up there if they did know it. The heroes of the Bible didn't know they were heroes of the Bible. They were just people in the middle of real life and real challenges and real questions who refused to sit down on the call of God for them and chose to seek him in it all. They were regular folk who hung on to faith when life wasn't good and when they weren't good. They outlasted the middle of their lives to get to the end of their lives, even though they didn't know the back of the book. Their faith became what is described in Hebrews 11, one now the faith is the reality of what is hoped for the proof of what is not seen a few glimpses of faith heroes come to mind noah he found grace in the eyes of the lord and that grace came with the blueprint to do something that he had never done before in fact no one had ever done before shipbuilding was out of his wheelhouse in rain what was rain but noah ordinary as he was, took that grace of revelation and worked and preached for 120 years. There were probably moments where the unlikeliness of his task and his lack of ability weighed on his mind. He was an ordinary man called to do an extraordinary task, but the end of the story, the back of the book says, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, and became heir of the righteousness that is by faith. God had the back of the book all the time Noah was hammering. Abraham. Abraham was a 75-year-old nomad when he had his first encounter with Yahweh or Jehovah. He was just a normal nomad doing what normal nomads do. But when God called him to a radical life change and gave him an impossible promise, we see that he banked everything on it. He left all that was familiar and familiar, and as it says in the back of the book, he obeyed and went out not knowing where he was going. Obedience for Abraham came with several high price tags, but obedience and clinging to his faith in the middle of his story saw him as the father of the faithful at the back of the book. Sarah. Sarah was simply the wife of a normal nomad, but a wife who was willing to go to strange places prescribed by faith alongside Abraham. Her faith required obedience and submission in the middle. The impossible promise given to Abraham required her to be a key player and a willing vessel to bring an heir into the world. At 100 years old, after a 25-year wait, Sarah overhears a conversation between the Lord and Abraham. I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah did what an ordinary 100-year-old woman would do when you tell them they're going to have a baby, she laughed. She struggled to believe the impossible in the middle of her story, 
But the back of the book says, Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Though she struggled to believe in the beginning, she was holding a baby at the end. Joseph. Joseph was given dreams at 17, but the dreams gave way to 13 years of betrayal, isolation, loneliness, false accusations, and forgottenness. The trials that unfolded likely made his dreams seem impossible. But the back of the book saw Pharaoh put his ring on Joseph's hand and say, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. The trials of the middle were preparation for the end. They were actually the doorway to his dreams, and his dreams weren't for him. The difficult forgiveness required by Joseph saw these words in the back of the book. But as for me, as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. His forgiveness in the middle found fruitfulness at the back of the book. By faith, Joseph. Moses. Moses had a miraculous beginning, spared from an untimely death and raised in the lap of luxury in an Egyptian palace. Moses was just an average prince of Egypt, mighty in word and deed. But at 40, he sensed a call to be a deliverer for the children of Israel. In the process of going to visit his brethren, he commits murder. The middle of his story reads fugitive. It reads Midianite shepherd. But the call he sensed at 40 was still active, bubbling beneath the surface and undaunted by his failure. I love this little phrase in Acts 7.30, which says, And when 40 years were expired, there was an expiration date on all the mundane of that wilderness preparation, the plot line that took him to purpose. The back of the book says, He refused Egypt and rather chose to suffer with God's people. The end could have seen him still ruling in Egypt or drowned in the despair of failure, but Moses made a choice not to be defined by his beginning or his middle. He chose the people of God, and the back of the book does not call him prince or murderer, but deliverer, and one whom the Lord knew face to face. As the writer of Hebrews said, And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of, It would fail me to tell of an entire Bible full of characters who were just ordinary people, ordinary people who somewhere along the way had an encounter with the divine. I doubt they felt special or capable. I doubt they ever thought we'd be reading about and preaching about their lives thousands of years later. They were just doing their best to walk in obedience, to answer the call of God, to live separate from the world around them, to worship in setbacks and pain, and to hold on to their faith. And that is precisely what the end of the book says they did. Time would fail me to tell of David who kept a right spirit in spite of hardship and failure. The back of the book says man after God's own heart. Of Job who in spite of utter devastation and loss worshipped and trusted. The tragedy of his storyline gave way to a double portion at the back of the book. Of Esther who was just an orphaned exile who stepped out in boldness and bravery. The back of the book says she had been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Of Samson, who in spite of an entire life of failure, chose to give his final moments to God, and the back of the book says time would fail me to tell of Samson. He chose to go out in faith. 
of the woman with the issue of blood who, in spite of years of debilitating sickness and spending everything she'd ever had on doctors, made up her mind to touch Jesus. All the sickness of the middle faded when the back of the book said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Paul, who was given a revelation in the middle of his story that required him to abandon all the previous religious customs, faith in the middle of his story required him to change lanes spiritually. For Paul, the middle of his story was full of persecution and peril, but the back of the book says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Of Abel, Gideon, Mary, Matthew, Peter, and on and on, regular people from all walks of life who battled the same questions and uncertainties of life we do today. Some of them had their prayers answered the way they hoped, and some didn't. Some obtained promises and some obtained a good report, as it says in Hebrews 11:33 to 39. The faith in the middle of their stories required difficult decisions, radical obedience, and expensive sacrifice. It required enduring the mundane and the catastrophic. The middle was not glorious many times, but the back of the book was. And your story? You're still in the middle of it. Ordinary, yes. Challenges, yes. Pain and heartbreak, yes. Seeking out how to pursue the call of God, yes. Monotony, yes. Overlooked, maybe. Lonely, maybe. But no matter what the beginning of your story was, or what the middle of your story is, I believe the end of your story is going to see you as a hero of the faith. I believe your past is not going to define your future. I believe the back of the book is going to say, by faith, she didn't give up. By faith, he kept pursuing me when nothing made sense. By faith, they obeyed when things didn't go their way or when their way would have been far easier. By faith, she worshiped in trial and tragedy. By faith, they held on to trust in spite of devastating loss. By faith, he rejected every voice of the accuser and kept on pursuing me. By faith, they fell, but they got back up. They chose to be defined by forgiveness rather than failure. By faith, she held on to me and my word rather than how things appeared or how things felt. All the people listed in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 12 continues and says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin with Dutch which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. All those heroes of the faith are cheering you on. I have always seen this as fans in the bleachers watching the race of life. Moses and Enoch and Esther and Rahab are cheering for you. You are going to make it. And maybe, just maybe, while you are looking forward to meeting the great heroes of faith in heaven, Maybe they're looking forward to meeting you. The author of your storyline is at the finish line. He is the goal. Keep your focus on him. Stay in the race. When you stumble, get back up. Keep going. Refuse to quit. Keep getting others to join you on the racetrack. Keep making the right decisions in the middle of your story. And never forget that God knows the back of the book. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And if we'll keep on keeping on, the back of the book will say, well done. Finney. No matter how real the struggle is, stick with it. Keep struggling to get this habit up and running. And remember who the author 
of your faith is. Thank you so much for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's entry, you can visit MegUnedited.com. For now, go grab your journal and your Bible. I look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is Unedited. This is for you. Happy Friday.